Section 14 of The White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales by Sir Arthur Thomas Quiller Couch. Parson Jack's Fortune. Part 1. From Langona Church Tower you see nothing of the Atlantic but a wedge between two cliffs of a sandy creek. The cottages, thirty in all perhaps, huddle in a semicircle of the hills about a spring of clear water which overflows and leaps as from a platform into the hollow coombe, its conduit down to the sands. But Langona Church stands out more boldly on a high grassy meadow thrust forward like a bastion over the stream's right flank. It has no tree, no habitation between it and the ocean. It breaks the northerly gales for the cottages behind and under its lee. And these gales have given its tamarisk hedge and even its gravestones so noticeable a slant inward that by a trick of eyesight the church itself seems tilted perilously forward forward in fact that is to say seaward the tower does lean though but a foot or so and now not perilously the salt winds impotent against its masonry having bitten with more effect into the earth around its base but the church has been restored the mischief arrested and the danger no longer haunts its vicar as it haunted the reverend jack flood on a bright september morning in eighteen eighty five he sat on a time-covered hummock by the valley stream with knees drawn up and palms pressed against his aching head sat as he had been sitting for half an hour past a shovel beside him and an empty sack which he had brought down to fill with clean river sand a chaffinch fresh from his bath flitted incessantly between the rail of the footbridge a dozen yards below and the boughs of a tamarisk beside it he paid no attention to parson jack few living creatures ever did even his parishioners those who knew of it felt no great concern that parson jack had been drunk again last night there was no harm in the man he had this failing to be sure with a little liquor he talked silly though not so silly as you might suppose let him alone and he'll find his way home somehow scandalous oh no doubt but you might easily go farther and find a worse parson than flood it never occurred to them that he felt any special remorse his agonies were private and his chance of redemption lay in this that they neither ceased nor eased with time perhaps in this too that he wasted no breath in apologetics or self-pity but blamed himself squarely like a man yet a sentimentalist in his place might have run up a long and tearful account against providence fate circumstances whatever sentimentalists choose to arraign rather than themselves five and twenty years before jack flood had been a rowdy undergraduate at brazenose college oxford in his third year of residence with more than a fair prospect of being ploughed or in the language of that generation plucked at the end of it 
a member of the phoenix wine club owner of a brute which he not only called a hunter but made to do duty for one at least twice a week and debtor amongst various oxford tradesmen to the tune of something like five hundred pounds at this point his father a berkshire rector died suddenly of a paralytic stroke leaving jack and his elder brother lionel then abroad in the new indian civil service to realize and divide an estate of twelve hundred pounds six hundred pounds is a fair equipment for starting a young man in life but not when he already owes five hundred and has few brains no decided bent and only a little of the most useless learning jack surrendered two-thirds of his patrimony to his pressing creditors sold his hunter read hard for a term scrambled into his degree and was received a month or two later into holy orders his father had sent him to brazenose college as a step to this and jack had looked forward to being a parson some day a sporting parson be it understood for the moment however he was almost penniless and he had answered in vain some dozen advertisements of curacies when a college friend came to the rescue and prevailed on a distant kinsman to offer him the living of langona with a net annual stipend of fifty one pounds eighteen shillings and sixpence there are such livings it was offered of course and accepted merely as a stopgap but twenty-five years had passed and at lagona parson flood remained it had cost him twenty of these to wipe off his oxford debts with interest but he had managed to retain the small remnant of his capital and this with his benefice yielded an income better than a day labourer's that he was still a bachelor goes without saying in the summer he fished in the winter he followed afoot a pack of harriers kept by his patron sir harry vile of carwithiel these were his recreations he could not afford to travel and cared little for reading his library consisted of his bible two or three small divinity handbooks a pickwick stonehenge on the dog and a couple of handley cross novels with coloured illustrations by john leech twice a year or thereabouts a letter reached him from his brother in calcutta who was apparently prospering and had a wife and three children though for some years the letters had brought no news of them something was wrong parson jack decided after a while finding that his messages to them met with no answer and he felt a delicacy in asking questions he believed that the children had been sent home to england he did not know where and would have liked to pay them a visit but for him a journey was out of the question and so he lived on alone and forgotten on sundays he wore a black suit which had lasted him for ten years and would have to last for another five at least on weekdays he dressed in blue guernsey and corduroys and smoked a clay pipe his broad-brimmed clerical hat alone distinguished him from the farm labourers in his parish but when at work upon the church patching its shingle roof or pouring mortar into its gaping wounds he discarded this for a maroon-coloured cap not unlike a beretta which offered less surface to the high winds he knew nothing of architecture 
could not in fact distinguish norman work from perpendicular and at first had taken to these odd jobs of masonry as a handy way of killing time he had wit enough however to learn pretty soon that the whole fabric was eaten with rot and in danger from every gale and by degrees he could not explain how the ruin had set up a claim on him in his worst dreams he saw it toppling falling during the winter gales he lay awake listening imagining the throes and shudders of its old beams and would be abroad before daybreak waiting for the light to assure him that it yet stood a casual tourist happening on him at work some summers before had mistaken him for a hired mason and discoursed learnedly on the beauties of the edifice and the pity of its decay that's a vile job you have in hand my friend a bit of sheer vandalism said the tourist but i suppose the parson who employs you knows no better parson jack had been within an ace of revealing himself but now changed his mind and asked humbly enough what was amiss whereupon the tourist pulled out a pencil and an old envelope and explained but there he broke off it would take me a week to go into these matters and you a deal longer to understand i'd enjoy twenty minutes talk with your parson the church wants restoration from beginning to end and by a first-class man it deserves no less for it's interesting throughout in some points unique that would cost money now suggested parson jack pitching his voice to the true langona sing-song two thousand pounds would go a long way the tourist scanned the wagon roof critically and lowering his eyes at length observed the parson's smile ah i see a sum that would take some collecting hereabouts parson's none too well off eh? fifty pounds a year or so scandalous who's the lay impropriator he was told well but wouldn't he help parson jack shook his head he had never asked a penny from sir harry vile who was a notorious gallio in all that concerned religion he had a further reason too he suspected that sir harry chafed a little in a careless way at his continuing to hold the living and that would be glad to see him replaced by an incumbent with private means and no failings to be apologized for with the shrug of his shoulders sir harry he knew was aware of these hateful lapses though too delicate to allude to them and far too charitable to use them unless under compulsion as a lever for getting rid of him and this knowledge was perhaps the worst of his shame yet what could he do since to surrender langona was to starve your parson might at least make a beginning pursued the tourist a box now inviting donations that would cost nothing and might relieve a visitor here and there of a spare sovereign he could put up a second box for himself it's quite a usual thing in churches when the parish priest is poor you might make the suggestion if he's not too proud i will said parson jack and after the tourist had gone he thought much of these two boxes indeed he made and fixed up the first that same week though he labelled it for church repairs fighting shy of restoration as too magniloquent the second cost him long searchings of heart and he walked over and laid the case before parson kendall rector of the near parish of st cadoc's 
a good Christian and a good fellow with whom he sometimes smoked a pipe. Why not? answered Parson Kendall. It's the most ordinary thing in the world. But Sir Harry may not like it. The rector chuckled. If he doesn't, he'll consult me, and I shall ask him why he hunts a pack by subscription. And so the second box was nailed beside the first, and excited little discussion. Indeed, the pair hung in so obscure a corner behind the font that at the very first service only Parson Jack and the widow Copping was aware of them. The parson stumbled and hesitated so badly over the prayers that one or two worshippers felt sure he had been drinking, which was not the fact. The widow Copping took no interest in collecting boxes, and besides, she could not read. So the innovation missed fire. Moreover, it suggested neither popery nor priestcraft, and only a fool would suspect Parson Flood of either. The parson's box remained, provoking no criticism. He himself had a little plan for its contents. He would spend the money on a journey to his nephews and nieces. If they were anywhere in England, he would find out. There was no hurry, he told himself with a queer smile. There was not. The box provoked neither ill criticism nor effusive charity. On Trinity Sunday, when he opened it and counted out one shilling in silver and seven pence in coppers, Parson Jack pulled a wry face and then laughed aloud. Part Two Beep, beep, beep! The postman's horn in the village street above him shook the parson out of his idleness, if not out of his dark thoughts. He sprang up, gripped his shovel, and began spading the white river sand into his sack. It is useless, after all, said he to himself. The crack on the south of the tower stands still, but the smaller and more dangerous one, the one on the weather side, is widening fast. This winter, even, may finish matters. He took up a few more shovelfuls. Anyhow, it will not last my time, and since it will not, he paused as the thought rose before him like a blank wall. If the church fell, nay, when it fell, this comrade which had taken possession of his purposes, his fears, his fate, this enigmatic building of which he knew neither the history nor the founder's name, but only its wounds, why then his occupation was gone. He might outlive it for years, perhaps a third of his lifetime, but he had no hopes beyond. In imagination he saw it fall, and after that nothing. And he laughed not the laugh with which he had counted out the money in his collecting box, but one of sheer self-contempt and passing bitter. The impression had been so sharp that he flung a glance up at the grey tower topping the grey-green rise, and with that was aware of the postman swinging with long strides down the slope towards him. He turned in confusion and resumed his shoveling, why was the man coming this way by a path out of his daily beat? Parson Jack stooped over his work. He wished to avoid greeting him. There was talk, no doubt, up at the village. But the postman was not to be denied. He stopped and hailed across the stream. Hello, Parson. I've just left a letter for you at the parsonage. 
a long blue letter and important by the look of it with the seal a man's hand coming out of a castle do you know it no answered parson jack did you come out of your way to tell me this not quite though i do it as much for ye any day out of friendliness but tell ye the truth i was sent to seek you with a message a message sir harry has ridden over from carwithiel and wants you up to church he's there waiting with his nephew a narrow-chested slip of a chap with a square-cut collar and a popish sort of face parson jack lifted his shovel and passed his palm over its blade which the sand had already polished thank you said he i'll be going at once but he made no motion to start while the postman stood eyeing him a sudden selfish fear paralyzed him had sir harry heard and was this the end of his patron's forbearance no the news could not have reached carwithiel so quickly he had no enemy to arise early and carry it to no living creature were even his follies of such importance don't forget your letter the postman reminded him moving off towards the footbridge parson jack watched him as he crossed it and until he had scaled the western slope and disappeared over its shoulder then kneeling by the stream he dipped his head and let the icy water run past his temples when he raised it again his plain face was glowing for hard fare and life in the open weather kept his complexion clear and ruddy but the hand gripping the sack on his shoulder shook as he climbed the hill by the lich gate he found two saddle horses tethered and just outside the porch stood sir harry vale a strikingly handsome man with a careless thoroughbred look in fact well over sixty but apparently ten years younger by habit he dressed well and was scrupulously careful of his person by habit too he remained sweet of temper and kindly of speech but beneath this mask of habit the heart had withered a while ago to dust and lay in the grave of his only son ah good morning flood cried sir harry genially parson jack reassured felt the colour rushing into his face i brought over my nephew clem to introduce to you he's in orders you know scholar of balliol fellow of all souls and what not high anglican too he'll be a bishop one of these days if money doesn't make him lazy he's inside dancing with delight in front of your chancel screen or rather the remains of it church architecture is his craze just now that and church history between ourselves sir harry glanced over his shoulder he has a bee or two in his bonnet but that's as it should be every lad at his age wants to eat up the world parson jack could remember no such ambition they passed into the church together now the surprise which awaits you in langona church is its chancel which stands high above the level of the nave and rising suddenly beneath a fine early english arch carries the eye upward to the altar with a strange illusion of distance even in those days the first impression was one of rare almost singular beauty an impression lost in a series of small pangs as your eye rested on the ruinous details one by one for of the great screen nothing remained but two tall uprights surmounted by hideous snops 
the addition of some local carpenter between the lozenge-shaped shafts of the choir arches the worm-riddled parklose screens dripped sawdust in little heaps down in the nave bench ends leaned askew or had been broken up built as panels into deal pews and daubed with paint the floor was broken and ran in uneven waves the walls shed plaster and a monstrous gallery blocked the belfry arch upon this gallery parson jack had spent most of his careful unsightly carpentry for the simple reason that it had been unsafe and for the simple reason that they had let in the rain he had provided half a dozen windows with new panes solid enough but in appearance worthy only to cover cucumbers as he entered with sir harry the reverend clement vile swung round upon him eagerly but paused with just a perceptible start at sight of his unclerical garb let me introduce you clem this is mr flood parson jack bowed and let his eyes travel around the church which he had often enough pitied but of which he now for the first time felt ashamed we're in a sad mess i'm afraid he muttered it is most interesting nevertheless clement vile answered he was a thin-faced youth with a high pedagogic voice better a church in this condition than one restored out of all whooping though i read on the box yonder that you are collecting towards a restoration parson jack blushed hotly you have made a start eh what are your funds in hand two pounds four shillings as yet sir harry laughed outright and after a moment parson jack laughed too he could not help it but clement vile frowned having no sense of humour i patch it up you know after a fashion parson jack's tone was humble enough and propitiatory nevertheless he glanced at his handiwork with something like pride the windows for instance the younger man turned with a shudder i suppose now he said abruptly staring up at an arch connecting the choir stalls with the southern transept this bit of norman work will be as old as anything you have that it was norman came as news to parson jack he too stared upon it resting a palm on a crumbling bench end well said he ingeniously i'm no judge of these things you know but i always supposed the tower was the oldest bit he broke off in confusion not at his speech but because clement vile's eyes were resting on the back of his hand which shook with a tell-tale palsy the tower said the young man icily is perpendicular and later than fourteen twelve at all events when a former belfry fell in destroyed the nave and cracked the pavement as you see all this is a matter of record as you may learn sir from the books which i feel sure my uncle will be pleased to lend you i need not ask perhaps if in the course of your uh excavations you have come on any traces of the original pre-augustine oratory or of the conventual buildings which existed here till we are told the middle of the thirteenth century he turned away obviously expecting no answer addressed himself henceforward to sir harry and ignored parson jack who followed him abashed yet secretly burning to hear more and wondering where all this knowledge could be obtained but it is inconceivable 
clement vile protested to his uncle half an hour later as they rode back towards carwithiel the man has had the cure of that parish for how long do you say twenty-five years and he's never had the curiosity to discover the most rudimentary facts in its history a hard case assented sir harry he lifts his elbow too eh drinks sir harry illustrated the idiom lifting an imaginary glass to his mouth oh it's notorious but what the deuce can we do kick him out not so easy and besides he'd die under a hedge you're hard on him clem he has his notions of duty why the baronet laughed i've seen him on the roof with a tar-bucket caulking the leaks for dear life he's a gentleman too clement vile tightened his lips and rode on in silence left alone parson jack stared around his church his repairs in which he had taken pride before now seemed nakedly hideously mean at this moment but a new sense fought with his dejection a sense altogether new to him that his church had a history a meaning into which he had never penetrated the aisles seemed to expand the chancel to reach up into a distance in which space and time were confused and following it his eye rested on a patch of colour in the east window between the wooden tablets of the law a cluster of fragments of stained glass rescued by some former vicar and set amid the clear panes the legs and scarlet robe of a saint an angel's wing a broken legend on a scroll part of a coat of arms azure with a fess wavy of gold all thrown together as by a kaleidoscope gone mad each of these scraps had once a meaning so this church held meanings too long ignored by him partly intelligible yet soon to be mixed inextricably in a common downfall for clement vile might be wise in the history of architecture but his eye had not read the one plain warning which stared a common workman in the face that the days of this building were surely numbered and were probably few parson jack had a mind to run after him he must learn and speedily all about the church its builders this old colony of monks but where in books doubtless where could those books be found he had almost reached the door when his eye fell on the two collecting boxes with a sudden thought he paused drew a key from the pocket of his corduroys and unlocked his own the parson's box a sovereign lay within he picked up the coin and considered it a dark flush growing on his face parson jack had a temper though few guessed it with an effort he controlled it now dropped the sovereign into the box labelled church repairs and walked slowly out he had no longer a mind to run after clement vile instead he bent his steps towards the four-room cottage which he called the parsonage and found too large for his needs on a sitting-room table lay a letter in a large blue envelope with a red seal part three that same day and soon after three o'clock in the afternoon parson jack knocked at the door of st caddock's rectory the rector a widower usually ate his dinner in the middle of the day and immediately afterward retired to his study with a glass of hot brandy and water presumably to meditate 
at parson jack's entrance he started up from his armchair with a flushed face and a somewhat incoherent greeting in the middle of which he suddenly observed that his friend's face too was agitated but what brings you nothing wrong i hope no answered parson jack dubiously then oh no on the contrary i came to ask you if you have any books bearing on this part of the world county histories ecclesiastical histories and the like especially ecclesiastical histories i want to read up about lagona the rector's eyes twinkled this is rather sudden eh? after five and twenty years i suppose it is parson jack blushed like a schoolboy but he laughed nevertheless for he held news and it bubbled within him preparing a lecture no the fact is he straightened his face i've just learnt of my brother lionel's death in india i've never seen him since we were boys he added apologetically hmm. the rector paid his respect to death in a serious little cough still i don't quite understand he has left me five thousand pounds ah a very tidy sum my dear flood i congratulate you with all my heart i do you have the prospect now of many happy days he shook his friend's hands warmly but excuse me what has this to do with reading ecclesiastical history of lagona or any other place well parson jack answered shyly sitting down and filling his pipe i thought of restoring the church my dear fellow don't be a fool if i may speak profanely five thousand pounds is a tidy sum no doubt in lagona especially but you'll be leaving lagona you can buy yourself a decent little living or retire and set up comfortably as a bachelor on two hundred and fifty pounds a year with a cob and a gig as you grow older parson jack shook his head i've been paying debts all my life with the help of lagona said he puffing slowly and now i see that i owe the place repayment but it isn't that exactly he went on with a quickening voice and another of his shy blushes and i don't want you to mistake that for the real reason the fact is i'm attached to the place to the church especially it seems a silly thing to say when i haven't troubled to learn ten words of his history and don't know norman work from well from any but my own he laughed grimly biting on his pipe stem but that can be mended i suppose and the old barn has become a sort of companion and that's about the long and the short of it the rector leaned forward and tapped the bowl of his pipe reflectively on the fender bars you are the residuary legatee i take it your brother was unmarried oh dear no lionel was married and had three children two girls and a boy has i should say for i imagine they're all alive the widow too i don't know where they are the lawyers merely speak of my five thousand as a legacy and they say nothing of the rest of the will that's queer the rector reached for his tobacco jar uh, you mean my not knowing the whereabouts of the family between ourselves i believe there was a screw loose in lionel's domestic affairs i know nothing definite positively we corresponded now and then continued parson jack say twice a year and of late years he dropped all mention of them 
and i gathered that questions were not wanted but the wife and children are provided for you may depend and there's the pension you're not an executor even no it seems there were two but one died the survivor a major brumham lives in plymouth retired apparently and i suppose an old friend of lionel's it's through his solicitors that i had the news and with it the first announcement of your brother's death it seems queer to me that this major brumham didn't send you a line of his own how do the lawyers put it oh the barest announcement here it is you can read for yourself on the instruction of our client major brumham late sixteenth bengal lancers we have to inform you of the death by syncope at calcutta on the fifth of july last of your brother lionel flood esq late of the indian civil service assistant commissioner and also that by the terms of his will executed so and so of which our client is the surviving executor etc all precious formal and cold-blooded no doubt his death was telegraphed home to the newspapers and they take it for granted that i heard or read of it perhaps the rector rose shall we have a stroll through the stables afterwards you shall have a book or two to carry off but look here kendall i came to you as a friend you know it seems to me all plain sailing enough but you seem to imply do i then i am doubtless an ass you think this major bromham should have written to me direct i see that you do well he lives no farther away than plymouth i might run up and call on him why to be sure parson jack's brow cleared and he can give me the address of the wife and children end of section fourteen